Section sixteen of Lynn McLean by Owen Wister. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six Destiny at Drybone, Part three, Section two. The coroner shot one of his shrewd glances at the cowpuncher and sat down with an amiable countenance. His fee was indeed ten dollars, and he was desirous of a second term. Under the apprehension that it had already occurred, the misapprehension, I took steps to impanel a jury, said he, addressing both Barker and McLean. They are, um, um, waiting outside. Responsible men, Governor, and have sat before. Drybone has few responsible men tonight, but I procured these at a little game where they were, um, losing. You might go back, gentlemen, said he, going to the door. I will summon you in proper time. He looked in the room again. Is the husband not intending— That's enough, Judge, said McLean. There's too many here without adding him. Judge, spoke a voice at the door, ain't she ready yet? She is still passing away, observed Slaghammer piously. "'Because I was thinking,' said the man, "'I was just—you uh, see, us jury is dry and dead broke. Doggondest cards I've held this year, and—judge, would there be anything out of the way in me touching my fee in advance, if it's a sure thing?' "'I see none, my friend,' said Slaghammer benevolently, "'since it must be.' He shook his head and nodded it by turns. Then, with full-blown importance, he sat again and wrote a paper, his coroner's certificate. Next door, in Albany County, these vouchers brought their face value of five dollars to the holder. But on Drybone's neutral soil, the saloons would always pay four for them, and it was rare that any juryman could withstand the temptation of four immediate dollars. This one gratefully received his paper, and, cherishing it like a bird in the hand, he, with his colleagues, bore it where they might wait for duty and slake their thirst. In the silent room sat Lynn McLean, his body coming to life more readily than his shaken spirit. Barker, seeing that the cowpuncher meant to watch until the end, brought the whiskey to him. Slaghammer drew documents from his pocket to fill the time, but was soon in slumber over them. In all precincts of the quadrangle, Drybone was keeping it up late. The fiddle, the occasional shouts, and the crack of the billiard balls traveled clear and far through the vast darkness outside. Presently steps unsteadily drew near, and round the corner of the door, a voice, plaintive and diffident, said, "'Judge, ain't she most pretty near ready?' "'Wake up, Judge,' said Barker. "'Your jury has gone dry again.' The man appeared round the door, a handsome, disheveled fellow, with hat in hand, balancing himself with respectful anxiety. Thus was a second voucher made out, and the messenger strayed back happy to his friends. Barker and McLean sat wakeful, and Slaghammer fell at once to napping. From time to time he was roused by new messengers, each arriving more unsteady than the last, until every juryman had got his fee, 
and no more messengers came. The coroner slept undisturbed in his chair. McLean and Barker sat. On the bed, the mass, with its pink ribbons, breathed and breathed, while moths flew round the lamp, tapping and falling with light sounds. So did the heart of the darkness wear itself away, and through the stone-cold air the dawn began to filter and expand. Barker rose, bent over the bed, and then stood. Seeing him, McLean stood also. Judge, said Barker quietly, you may call them now. And with careful steps the judge got himself out of the room to summon his jury. For a short while the cowpuncher stood looking down upon the woman. She lay lumped in her gaudiness, the ribbons darkly stained by the laudanum but into the stolid, bold features death had called up the faint-colored ghost of youth, and McLean remembered all his Bear Creek days. "'Hindsight is a terrible clear way of seeing things,' said he. "'I think I'll take a walk.' "'Go,' said Barker. "'The jury only need me, and I'll join you.' But the jury needed no witness. Their long waiting and the advance pay had been too much for these responsible men. Like brothers, they had shared each other's vouchers until responsibility had melted from their brains and the whiskey was finished. Then, no longer entertained and growing weary of Drybone, they had remembered nothing but their distant beds. Each had mounted his pony, holding trustingly to the saddle, and thus unguided the experienced ponies had taken them right. Across the wide sagebrush and up and down the river they were now asleep or riding, dispersed irrevocably. But the coroner was here. He duly received Barker's testimony, brought his verdict in, and signed it, and even while he was issuing to himself his own proper voucher for ten dollars, came Chalkeye and Toothpick Kid on their ponies, galloping, eager in their hopes and good wishes for Mrs. Lusk. Life ran strong in them both. The night had gone well with them. Here was the new day going to be fine. It must be well with everybody. "'You don't say!' they exclaimed, taken aback. "'Too bad!' They sat still in their saddles, and upon their reckless kindly faces thought paused for a moment. "'Her gone?' they murmured. "'Hard to get used to the idea. What's anybody doing about the coffin?' "'Mr. Lusk,' answered Slaghammer, doubtless. "'Lusk, he'll not know anything this forenoon. He's out there in the grass. She didn't think nothing of him. Tell Bill, not Dollar Bill, Jerky Bill, you know. He's over the bridge.' to fix up a hearse, and we'll be back." The two drove their spurs in with vigorous heels, and instantly were gone rushing up the road to the graveyard. The fiddle had lately ceased, and no dancers stayed any longer in the hall. Eastward the rose and gold began to flow down upon the plain over the tops of the distant hills. Of the revellers, many had never gone to bed and many now were already risen from their excesses to revive in the cool glory of the morning. Some were drinking to stay their hunger until breakfast. Some splashed and sported in the river, 
calling and joking. And across the river some were holding horse races upon the level beyond the hog ranch. Drybone air rang with them. Their lusty, wandering shouts broke out in gusts of hilarity. Their pistols, aimed at cans or prairie dogs or anything, cracked as they galloped at large. Their speeding, clear-cut forms would shine upon the bluffs, and, descending, merge in the dust their horses had raised. Yet all this was nothing in the vastness of the growing day. Beyond their voices the rim of the sun moved above the violet hills, and Drybone, amid the quiet, long, new fields of radiance, stood august and strange. Down along the tall, bare slant from the graveyard the two horsemen were riding back. They could be seen across the river, and the horse-racers grew curious. As more and more watched, the crowd began to speak. It was a calf the two were bringing. It was too small for a calf. It was dead. It was a coyote they had roped. See it swing? See it fall on the road? It's a coffin, boys, said one, shrewd at guessing. At that the event of last night drifted across their memories, and they wheeled and spurred their ponies. Their crowding hoofs on the bridge brought the swimmers from the waters below, and dressing they climbed quickly to the plain and followed the gathering. By the door already were Jerky Bill and Limber Jim and the Doughy, and always more, dashing up with their ponies, halting with a sharp scatter of gravel to hear and comment. Barker was gone, but the important coroner told his news, and it amazed each comer and set him speaking and remembering past things with the others. Dead, each one began. Her, does he say? Why, pshaw! Why, Frenchy said Doc had her cured. Jack Saunders claimed she had rode to Box Elder with Lynn McLean. Dead? Why, pshaw! Seems Doc couldn't swim her out. Couldn't swim her out? That's it. Doc couldn't swim her out. Well, there's one less of us. Sure, she was one of the boys. She grub-staked me when I went broke in eighty-four. She gave me fifty dollars once at Lander to buy a saddle. I run again her when she was a biscuit-shooter. Sydney, Nebraska. I run again her there, too. I knowed her at Laramie. Where's Lynn? He knowed her all the way from Bear Creek to Cheyenne. They laughed loudly at this. That's a lonesome coffin, said the doughy that the best you could do? You'd say so, said Toothpick Kid. Choices are getting scarce up there, said Chalkeye. We looked the lot over. They were arriving from their search among the old dug-up graves on the hill. Now they descended from their ponies, with a box roped and rattling between them. Where's your hearse, Jerky? asked Chalkeye. Have her round in a minute, said the cowboy, and galloped away with three or four others. Terrible lonesome coffin, all the same, repeated the doughy, and they surveyed the box that had once held some soldier. She did like fixin's, said Limber Jim. Fixin's, said Toothpick Kid, that's easy. 
while some six of them, with chalk-eye, bore the light half-rotted coffin into the room, many followed Toothpick Kid to the post-trader's store. Breaking in here, they found men sleeping on the counters. These had been able to find no other beds in Drybone, and lay as they had stretched themselves on entering. They sprawled in heavy slumber, some with not even their hats taken off and some with their boots against the rough hair of the next one. They were quickly pushed together, few waking, and so there was space for spreading cloth and chintz. Stuffs were unrolled and flung aside, till many folds and colors draped the motionless sleepers, and at length a choice was made. Unmeasured yards of this drab chintz were ripped off. Money, treble its worth, was thumped upon the counter, and they returned, bearing it like a streamer to the coffin. While the noise of their hammers filled the room, the hearse came tottering to the door, pulled and pushed by twenty men. It was an ambulance left behind by the soldiers, and of the old-fashioned shape, concave in body, its top blown away in winds of long ago. And as they revolved, its wheels dished in and out like hoops about to fall while some made a harness from ropes, and, throwing the saddles off two ponies, backed them to the vehicle, the body was put in the coffin, now covered by the chintz. But the laudanum upon the front of her dress revolted those who remembered their holidays with her, and, turning the woman upon her face, they looked their last upon her flashing colored ribbons, and nailed the lid down. So they carried her out but the concave body of the hearse was too short for the coffin. The end reached out, and it might have fallen. But Limber Jim, taking the reins, sat upon the other end, waiting and smoking. For all Drybone was making ready to follow in some way. They had sought the husband, the chief mourner. He, however, still lay in the grass of the quadrangle, and, despising him as she had done, they left him to wake when he should choose. Those men who could sit in their saddles rode escort, the old friends nearest, and four held the heads of the frightened cow-ponies who were to draw the hearse. They had never known harness before, and they plunged with the men who held them. Behind the hearse the women followed in a large ranch-wagon, this moment arrived in town. Two mares drew this, and their foals gambled around them. The great flat-topped dray for hauling poles came last, with its four government mules. The cowboys had caught sight of it and captured it. Rushing to the post-traders, they carried the sleeping men from the counter and laid them on the dray. Then, searching Drybone outside and in, for any more incapable of following, they brought them, and the dray was piled. Limber Jim called for another drink, and with his cigar between his teeth, cracked his long bullwhacker quip. The ponies, terrified, sprang away, scattering the men that held them, and the swaying hearse leaped past the husband, over the stones, and the many playing cards in the grass. Masterfully steered, it came safe to an open level, while the throng cheered the unmoved driver on his coffin, his cigar between his teeth. "'Stay with it, Jim!' they shouted. "'You're a king!' 
A steep ditch lay across the flat where he was veering, abrupt and nearly hidden. But his eyes caught the danger in time, and swinging from it leftward, so that two wheels of the leaning coach were in the air, he faced the open again, safe, as the rescue swooped down upon him. The horsemen came at the ditch, a body of daring, a sultry blast of youth. Wheeling at the brink, they turned, whirling their long ropes. The skillful nooses flew, and the ponies, caught by the neck and foot, were dragged back to the quadrangle and held in line. So the pageant started, the wild ponies quivering but subdued by the tightened ropes, and the coffin steady in the ambulance beneath the driver. The escort, in their fringed leather and broad hats, moved slowly beside and behind it, many of them swaying, their faces full of health, and the sun and the strong drink. The women followed, whispering a little, and behind them the slow dray jolted, with its heaps of men waking from the depths of their whiskey, and asking what this was. So they went up the hill. When the riders reached the tilted gate of the graveyard, they sprang off and scattered among the hillocks, stumbling and eager. They nodded to Barker and McLean, quietly waiting there, and began choosing among the open, weather-drifted graves from which the soldiers had been taken. Their figures went up and down the uneven ridges, calling and comparing. "'Here,' said the doughy, "'here's a good hole.' Ah, oh, here's a deep one,' said another. "'We struck a well here,' said some more. "'Put her in here.' The sand-hills became clamorous with voices, until they arrived at a choice, when someone with a spade quickly squared the rain-washed opening. With lariats looping the coffin round, they brought it, and were about to lower it, when Chalkeye, too near the edge, fell in, and one end of the box rested upon him. He could not rise by himself, and they pulled the ropes helplessly above. McLean spoke to Barker. "'I'd like to stop this,' said he, "'but a man might as well.' "'Might as well stop a cloudburst,' said Barker. "'Yes, Doc, but but it feels it, it feels like I was looking at ten dozen Lynn McLeans.' And seeing them still helpless with Chalkeye, he joined them and lifted the cowboy out. "'I think,' said Slaghammer, stepping forward, "'this should proceed no further without some, uh, perhaps some friend would recite, Now I lay me.' They don't use that in funerals, said the doughy. Will some gentleman give the Lord's Prayer? inquired the coroner. Foreheads were knotted, triad mutterings ran among them, but someone remembered a prayer book in one of the rooms in Drybone, and the notion was hailed. Four mounted and raced to bring it. They went down the hill in a flowing knot, shirts ballooning and elbows flapping, and so returned. But the book was beyond them. "'Take it, you! You take it!' each one said. False beginnings were made, big thumbs pushed the pages back and forth, until impatience conquered them. They left the book and lowered the coffin, helped again by McLean. The weight sank slowly, decently, steadily, down between the banks. 
The sound that it struck the bottom with was a slight sound, the grating of the load upon the solid sand; and a little sand strewed from the edge and fell on the box at the same moment. The rattle came up from below, compact and brief, a single jar, quietly smiting through the crowd, smiting it to silence. One removed his hat, and then another, and then all. They stood eyeing each his neighbor, and, shifting their eyes, looked away at the great valley. Then they filled in the grave, brought a headboard from a grave nearby, and wrote the name and date upon it by scratching with a stone. "'She was sure one of us,' said Chalkeye. "'Let's give her the lament.' And they followed his lead. Once in the saddle I used to go dashing, Once in the saddle I used to go gay. First took to drinking and then to card-playing, Got shot in the body, and now here I lay. Beat the drum slowly, play the fife lowly, Sound the dead march as you bear me along. Take me to Boot Hill and throw the sod o'er me, I'm but a poor cowboy, I know I done wrong. When the song was ended, they left the graveyard quietly and went down the hill. The morning was growing warm. Their work waited them across many sunny miles of range and plain. Soon their voices and themselves had emptied away into the splendid vastness and silence, and they were gone, ready with all their might to live or to die, to be animals or heroes, as the hours might bring them opportunity. In Drybone's deserted quadrangle, the sun shone down upon Lusk still sleeping, and the wind shook the aces and kings in the grass. End of chapter 6, part 3, section 2